Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I'm your host, Misha Globerman. Trampoline Hall is, of course, a lecture series that takes place in a bar, usually in Toronto, sometimes in other cities. People give lectures on all kinds of subjects with the one restriction being that they cannot be professionally expert on the topic on which they are speaking. After each lecture, we take questions from the audience. This is the Trampling Hall podcast, and we are now doing it in short seasons, in six-episode seasons, and we are now somewhere through that season. Uh, each uh, episode in this season was chosen by Margot Williamson, who combed through the vast archive of Trampling Hall recordings and chose six episodes just for you. Uh, if you like the podcast and you're in Toronto, you should come check out the show. Uh, to find out about it, go to our website and sign up for our email list. We will let you know when the next one is happening. Uh, for now, let's go on to this episode's lecture. It could contain mature language. It, it might. It might contain mature language. Maybe it doesn't, uh, but we'll find out when we listen to it. Um, the topic is the made-up country of Bravislovia, and the lecturer is Jordan Tannehill. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to begin telling you a very personal story about how I came to be here tonight. About a century ago, there was a plague of blindness that affected every boy born in the Baltic sea village of Plautus. They were born, however, with the ability to smell every color of every human and animal emotion. As a result of this incredible ability, one became the best falconer in the entire land. That man was my great-great-grandfather. At least this is what the story I invented. This is the story I invented for him and uh, kind of wished was the case. Unfortunately, it's a little less exciting than that. But I uh, invented a country when I was 10 years old by the name of Bravislovia on the uh, shores of the Baltic Sea. It's between uh, Poland and Lithuania, actually. And uh, I think all children go through a phase when they're about 10 or 11 in which they need to uh, have domain over something. And uh, sometimes it's uh, the World of Warcraft. Sometimes it's uh, you know, the Sudoku or some math puzzle. And for me, it was uh, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours uh, drawing maps and diagrams and blueprints and slowly filling uh, what became six three-inch binders with this country that uh, I essentially lived in and pretty much had dual citizenship with until I was about 15. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a little old, I know. Um, but um, 
and recently, this summer, I, I kind of rediscovered this, like the sort of the Dead Sea Scrolls in my basement, just sort of un unearthing these. And uh, it's incredible what came out of them. And so just trying to explain Bravislovia to someone, because even my parents didn't really know how crazy I was. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to get my head around this. And so I, I thought I would give you kind of this like Bravislovia 101 tonight for y'all. OK. All right. So this is written at the age of 13. Uh, and it's uh, because it was kept in kind of a musty part of the basement, the, the pages did kind of start looking like kind of musty and old and crackly. So it made, it made deciphering my writing a little bit more fun. Uh, all right, so the first written mention of Bravoslovian, Bravoslovian tribe was in the Quindaloran Analects, written by an unknown Latin scribe in the year 1000. <laughs> and later found in the Detroit attic of an eccentric cat lady in 1976 and mistook it for a lost Christmas receipt. <laughs> Bravoslovia reached its height under the Grand Duke Gracchi the Great, known in the folktales as Nagorski Vaturvi, or He with a Terrible Sauerkraut Breath. Gracchi ruled with an iron fist from 1392 to 1430. He strengthened the foundations of the duchy almost to the Black Sea. Turkish folktales and ballads found in the writings from the Ottoman Empire recount how every brave, even the bravest soldiers from the time were no match for the terrible breath run of the northern seas. In 1410, Jogelia and his cousin, Piotr, decisively beat the German crusaders of the Teutonic Order in the Great Battle of Tannenberg. He celebrated this victory with a staggering feast of the magnificent in his magnificent red-brick castle on the island of Nidronda. Legend has it the feast's head cook died of exhaustion the moment Jogalia brought the fork to into his mouth to take the first bite, having just adorned the staggering 50-foot table with 20 fully roasted sheep. It is perhaps not surprising that Jogalia's head potion master, Vlad Vlad Damask, is credited with creating the world's first antacid tablets. The Duchy of Bravoslovia progressively entered European culture. At the Union of Rodansk in 1596, the Polish-Lithuanian Bravoslovi Kingdom was formed, was, for, was formally merged into the Commonwealth headed by the monarch King Gunter Gregorius, who, in Baltic literature and folklore, is depicted as a rooster. The legend has it that he turned into one upon his death in order to be with the farmer's daughter he madly fell in love with in, in his ailing years. In 1579, the region's oldest university, Dan's Hog University, was established by the Jesuits. Ah, the Jesuits. It was one of the most important centers of the Counter-Reformation. During the Baroque era, a distinctly Bravoslovian style was created. The superb interior of the church of St. Peter and Paul, with its myriad of stucco figures, was commissioned by a Bravoslovian army commander for his stillborn daughter in 1668. The Lithuanian-Polish Bravoslovian Union came under threat from Prussia, Austria, and Russia at the end of the 18th century. An uprising by the Lithuanian patriot and notorious narcoleptic Colonel Jacob Jakinski in 1794 was defeated largely on account of his suddenly falling asleep atop his horse while commanding the Union forces and leading them unwittingly over a precipice. Most of the Union was in turn annexed by Russia in 1795, but new rulers tried to Russify the country, closing Dan's Hog University and banning the publication of Bravoslovian books in the Latin alphabet. In the late 19th century, however, national culture revived under the patronage of a wealthy merchant family called the Nadezki. The mini, rev the mini renaissance of the Bravoslovian culture known as the, the Nadezki period in Br Baltic art reached its height in the mythic paintings of Rodolska Neriev and the music of the great composer Countess Gregorius both of whom were found mysteriously and quite coincidentally on April 1st, 1911, in two separate houses across the town, blindfolded with their pants down around their ankles, hanging from their neckties in the bedroom. The Bravoslovian state was reestablished in 1918 after the defeat of Russia and Germany in World War I. Trade and industry flourished, 
And, but beginning in 1919, Bratislava was occupied by the Soviets and then overrun by the Nazi Germany in 1941. The Republic was briefly reestablished during the intervals of the two calamities, which saw tens of thousands deported to Siberia. The Soviets returned in 1944. Armed resistance against the Soviets continued for several years after World War II, but even more than 50 years after the Soviets, Bratislava still retained its goal for independence which they finally reached on March 11th, 1990. Coincidentally, my brother's birthday. The Republic was again proclaimed. <laughs> After the Moscow push collapsed, Bratislava won international recognition and was admitted to the United Nations on September 17th, 1991. Not that anyone noticed. Uh, having been a high-profile nationalist during Soviet occupation, Reverend Nrondi Vlaskovir was elected as the Republic's first president. However, Within the first couple of months of power, it soon became quite apparent that his White Angels party was anything but the Republic's knight in shining armor. The right-leaning party soon made Soviet occupation look like an episode of the Care Bears. The White Angels' reign of terror began increasingly more radical until by June of 1994, after the violent suppression of the Greek uprising, the nation was officially considered a dictatorship by Amnesty International. 1995 saw the mobilization of several militant student groups at Don's Hog University and the Oberkreuz Institute in the neighboring city of Grieg. The student riots marked the beginning of a guerrilla insurgency against the White Angels, which, by 1996, had escalated into a full-out civil war. In 1997, several agricultural dikes beyond the capital, this is as in dams, um, <laughs> beyond the capital, were destroyed by bombing, resulting in the, in the middle, sorry, resulted in the flooding of much of Danzog. And actually, there's an iconic image of President Vlaskovir standing in the middle of his flooded palace uh, in the opulent dining room in rubber boots and became synonymous with the insurgency's uh, will to power. <laughs> the Oberkutz Institute of Grieg, a former art and design college, much like OCAD, actually, it has since, since been converted into a de facto rebel base for the insurgency. Sadly, many of the great Reformation-era churches, including those three deemed by uh, historical sites by UNESCO, uh, have since been reduced to rubble. And uh, you can tell I was... Uh, had a pretty cheery outlook on the world when I was 13. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was interesting, uh, looking back on this and reading through, through the, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls of, of Bravoslovian past, that uh, even at the age of 13, when we, we had, or I guess actually started when I was 10, um, it became kind of a Christian oligarchy when I was 12. Uh, I think <laughs> mostly because of my dad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and really, it, it, it's interesting because I think uh, oftentimes there's the, the notion that we have to create worlds for ourselves in which we can escape to that are sort of utopias or ideal, you know, idyllic. And uh, it didn't have to be necessarily because uh, it was what it was. And, and uh, so I thought that was, uh, uh, I think, one element why I liked it so much and why I kept with it for so long. Um, also, there's a lot of interesting mythology within the uh, Bravoslovian uh, Binders. The first binder itself is, seems to be dedicated to mythology. It seems to be an occurring theme. And um, actually, there was one detailed passage which I think was quite, in quite interesting, uh, written when I was uh, 11 years old, about the elaborate ceremonies for a girl's first menstruation. <laughs> which I'm sure I knew quite a bit about at that age. So um, essentially, the gist of it is that um, uh, while the girl's sheets are, s have the soiled sheets, are being buried in the yard for good luck, uh, they rub her naked body with burgundy-colored crushed pomegranates and other unguents, 
while singing uh, of her bear husband. The men go out into the woods and uh, on, a, on a bear hunt, the Ursadura. <laughs> I think I just found the Latin uh, dictionary for that one. And uh, they come back into town where they skin it and do an elaborate dance with the bear skin on around the girl's house. And uh, it kind of beats the uh, mom tossing the tampax. You know. so, um, and also the origin of the sex myth I thought was also quite interesting as well. Um, this one, it, the, um, uh, a goddess uh, rips open a man in the woods uh, when she's walking th through the woods in winter and uh, slept him inside him to escape the winter cold, much like, uh, I think it's, is it Luke Skywalker does that, I think, in Star Wars, I think? He rips open the, yeah, rips open, yeah, like the big ox thing in the middle of the winter. Well, I was like, yeah, that's pretty great. So goddess whips open a man in the middle of the woods and sleeps inside of him to escape the winter cold when she becomes lost in the southern boglands. In return, the goddess granted man the power <laughs> to sleep within women on cold nights. <laughs> Again, I'm, this is 11 years old here, so this is my uh, reconciling this year. All right. And the, f the final myth that I, will, uh, that I will share with you today was the wedding dress and the Turkish invasions, trying to explain why the Turks were such an angry people throughout all European history. Well, two monks from a camphor-lit monastery in the banks of the Yellow River smuggled silk spider cocoons into the Byzantium Empire. Now, a nomadic gypsy stole the exotic silk and smuggled it into a remote mountain village in the Bravoslovian highlands. The silk was made into a wedding dress for a girl whose father refused her groom. And so, in a fit of rage, she went down to a creek where she found a stone, and she picked up the stone and put all of her anger in it, like I used to do, and put all of her anger in it, and uh, just vented it, and then threw it into the, into the creek. And along came a fish, and the fish swallowed the stone, and the region's magistrate caught that fish and ate that fish. <laughs> and all that anger entered him, and he became quite a corrupt magistrate over the preceding weeks and months. And uh, what happened was the, the, the girl's father had some sort of petty felony, and uh, the magistrate just blew his top on account of eating the poisoned fish, and, uh, and killed the father. Well, the monks, being monks, would have nothing to do with that. So in the town monastery uh, decided to ring incessantly the bells of the monastery for 12 days straight at full blast to drive the whole town crazy with the hope of driving out the, the, the magistrate. So eventually everyone took up arms and torches and pitchforks and drove the magistrate out of the town. Now, the magistrate decided knowing the secret of the silk dress, the wedding dress, uh, journeyed to Byzantium to sell the secrets of the stolen silk dress to Empress Theodora, who longed to have her gift back. And now this is the reason right here for the Turkish hordes invading the Balkans and ravaging Eastern Europe right here. They were looking for that, those two original silk cocoons, not realizing that they could have just opened a trade group to China and would have prevented the whole thing from happening. So uh, it, was, it was really kind of a vendetta against, uh, against that original silk dress. And uh, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of other, uh, for instance, a Danzog inventor, Danzog being the capital of Bravoslovia, invented photography, but you didn't know that. <laughs> Not Daguerre. In fact, in, in 1837, he photographed his daughter, who suddenly became a hollow husk of her former self, and his wife, who then got so tired that she was bedridden for the rest of her life, and so being a sort of superstitious Ramoslovian, he uh, destroyed the invention, becoming convinced that it captured their souls. And Daguerre patented it two years later. 
So, and uh, again, the very, very final myth that I found within the, uh, the Analects of my childhood was there was a giant feast for, um, at the, well, the Soviets agreed when they imprisoned Vladurska, uh, uh, Grigory Vladurska, if you remember, I don't think you remember. <laughs> he was one of the political dissidents and a pretty prominent journalist, actually, in, uh, in Dan's Hog <laughs> in the 1950s during the sort of anti-Soviet revolts. And um, anyways, he was, he was imprisoned by the Soviets, and they agreed that, um, that they would grant, uh, as was tradition, was custom in Bravoslavian history, to grant him his last meal. So what they did, what the, the, the villagers did, is they had an idea that, well, if we never stop feeding him, he'll never die. And so, basically, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of villagers from across the region began spending their days cooking and lining out literally miles to continually supply Fluderuska with never-ending meal uh, and ensuring the perpetuity of his life. Uh, which leads me to now say, eat up and long live you all. Thank you. You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next, the Q&A. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, does anyone have any questions? Any questions? Yes, from the very front of the room. What are the physical features of, of people of that country? The question oh, okay. is, what are the physical features of the people of the country? With obvious understanding that these are stereotypical and the people within the country, of course, vary. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but, um, I, I, you know, like, I, I could have rambled all day about this. I really could have. So, uh, actually, uh, essentially, I, the, the Northerners are kind of a, a ruddy-faced red shepherds. I mean, if, if you live in the North, you're either shepherd or shepherd's wife, pretty much, you know. So, uh, really hearty, hearty drinking folk. And uh, in the South, though, uh, the South is, is much more timid. They, they, it's sort of a mist-covered region. Uh, there's like peat pyres burning to keep off the spirits, you know, and there's a lot of, they're more superstitious, they're kind of meek and, and pasty because of all the, the rain they get down there in the boglands. So um, it's pretty much divided north and south, I would say. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yes, okay. it certainly does. Anything else you would like to know? <laughs> any, other, any other questions people have? Yes, uh, yes, you, sir. No. <laughs> That's why I had friends. So you were you were alone in this? There was no like I was sort of picturing you. Maybe you had some other inquisitive friends who you know who came over and you talked about it or but no. Well, remember how I was saying people sort of gravitate to one thing or the other, and 
one being Warcraft. Well, I think, unfortunately, in this case, most of my friends were gravitating to that. Uh, there was a lot of, um, well, there was one or two friends who enjoyed um, making maps, um, but they were always frustrated by my in inclination to put the country in, a real, in, in the real world. Uh, so um, <laughs> the maps, you know, there, there weren't no, there, were, there wasn't any uh, Mordors or there weren't any uh, sort of shires smacked up a dad, uh, smack up against each other because it just wasn't geography, geographically possible. So I, I, I would kind of have it out with some friends when I was 10, 11, like, you can't do that. Like, you know, there wouldn't be a, there wouldn't be a desert beside it, rainforest, it's not possible, you know? <laughs> so, and, uh, and so they, they didn't like my incessant inclination to place countries in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, wait, I want to know more about this. So you, so you like, you ran with a crowd of people who made up, in, made up imaginary countries, but yeah. you were an outcast. Essentially, essentially, yeah. We, we would have, um, we would actually, a friend and I, we actually would have uh, geography competitions to name as many, as many capitals as we could. Of in, in, were you allowed in to bring world. your own? Could you be like, ah, yeah. Fastloft. <laughs> Sometimes, to see if he was awake, yeah. Right. Um, but uh, no, generally I was an outcast, yes. Okay, so people, and did people know, were people like, so obviously, but obviously it wasn't secret, because you were with, like, they'd be like, like, your friends would be getting together, and they'd be, like, working on, like, their Middle Earth geography, yeah. and you'd be like, no, I'm working on my al alternative Renaissance to 20th century right. thing, yeah. and they'd be like, <laughs> like uh, They seemed to be having more fun than I was, though, so, uh, um, but yeah. But where did it lead them? Not, not here. <laughs> I don't know. Waterloo, maybe. Right. Yeah. They have no lectures there. <laughs> uh, okay, so 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 it was so so no. The answer to your question is no. This was a complete. This was a solitary, a yes. solitary activity. Yeah, in my bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, by myself. Yes. Okay. At my dad's house. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Any any other questions? Um, all right. All right. Yes. You. Yes. You. Why did you stop? Why did you stop? Oh, oh I'm assuming I, you did. I yeah. I of course I've stopped. <laughs> because I'm too old for that kind of stuff. That's why. Uh, it's just yeah. It's interesting because I I I, I think it's. In some ways, uh, looking back over all this information, I realized that it's, inc it's incredible how the sort of in, uh, imaginative floodgates were always open back then. And I sort of questioned myself, like, oh my god, was I more imaginative then than I am now? And it's, it's sort of interesting because uh, um, in some ways it sort of got me in touch with the fact that uh, really anyone can be a writer. And I, th I think everyone here has probably made up their own countries or something to that effect or their own worlds and like living in their own imaginary worlds of some, <laughs> please tell me. So, although although I, I'm maybe not uh, drawing them on paper as I used to and filing them away religiously into binders, I, I think there's still a lot of large element of, of that sort of, of, of my love of politics, or my love of uh, geography, or my love of um, myth that still continues today. So, yeah. so wait, but then when? But that, but the, so, so we know that you did. But when? Like when did? Was there actual a moment when? when like you described the part that sort of in some way continues. But when did you actually stop? I think it was, was when I entered high school. It was like uh, it was sort of a, a conscious decision. I'm like, okay, I'm in high school. I put them in the basement, and uh, I went into other things. It wasn't like I just sort of. It wasn't sort of like sob story that you know I kind of like. I'm no longer creative. It wasn't like the last verse of Puff the Mag Magic yeah, Dragon. Exactly, it wasn't like yeah. your creativity walked off into died, the woods yeah, and you yeah. like tried to be cool and that yeah, was exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. I'm a grizzled, yeah, like cynical person. No, I know it's it's actually, uh, but it, I, I sort of found other other venues. Okay. So it was, I think it was like the last, the last year of, uh, it was grade, grade eight. And there was no grand gesture. You didn't like close the book. No, there yeah. Wasn't like something like that. Wasn't any like course of angels or anything, unfortunately. Okay, all right. Okay, good. So there we go. Yeah. He, he got, got older and they stopped. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, yes, you may. 
But the question was whether he played a role in the world through role-playing, mm. I guess, or acting things out in some sort of way. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, I would often reenact scenes from like really obscure films that were that were because uh, I'm I'm I know we should also talk about it. I'm, I'm I'm sort of a film student, so I would I love I would love to uh, reenact scenes from sort of these obscure, Ravislovian films. One like one like 1982 was like the Birch Forest. You know, there was it, it was like the Camerador winning at uh, cons. You know, it was really like it was intense. You know, it was really high melodrama, and there was like and I remember this one scene where like there was this forest and it was all frozen over and people were skating with lanterns through it and it was like oh my god this is so intense and, and there was this like oh it was it was incredible incredible murder scene it was kind of uh yeah it was it was it was great it was it's incredible how similar it is to uh Adam McGoin's uh, Sweet Hereafter which I may have just watched maybe a couple of days before uh but uh, and actually I I have if if I can give it to you I <laughs> not that you may want to keep it but uh I have I, I have this um, there was what was called the uh, Vladansk Hotel Poets, and they were uh, seven poets who lived in this bombed-out hotel uh, during the, uh, the revolution, and they were like in exile. They were like fugitives, and so they wrote all this poetry. And it's really bad. Um, do so, you do, you their, do you have their work with you? Oh, like, is I, that I, you brought that. You brought that right in here. case. Actually, this is this is the uh, this is the diary excerpt actually. Um, well, this is a diary right excerpt here. from one of the po- diary of, from the poets. That's uh, that's Ona Nyakov's diary entry and how she was, how she how when, when the milk curdled because they couldn't go to town because there was like, what angel insurgencies were the insurgents were were closing in on the town so she they had to drink curdled milk. Yeah. How can how can this be? <laughs> how is it? How is it? Is is it? Oh, okay, right. just yeah, read a little of it. All right. Just a little. Ona Nyakov. All right. She's a poet, so this is what. Still no response from Kuriwak. He's likely too famous a poet now to write back. <laughs> the water in the well was frozen over again this morning. Isaac took an axe to it, and we joked he looked like Paul Bunyan or one of those American folk legends with his plaid shirt and bushy beard. <laughs> we thought we heard a car this morning on the road in the late afternoon. We ran to the drawing room window but saw nothing. <laughs> Our imaginations do terrible things to us. I'm not sleeping. I haven't written a poem in a week. There's a smell like a dead body coming up from the cellar, but no one talks about it and no one dares to investigate. <laughs> we stayed up late in the night debating whether Czeslaw Milos was really a Pole or a Lithuanian. He said to himself, I'm Lithuanian, to whom it is not given to be Lithuanian, or something like that. I can't remember what conclusions we came to, if any. Perhaps we came... Oh, perhaps where we came from and where we've been is hardly important anymore. It's as if everything has been foreshortened, as if everything is living in the internal present. Oh, and the milk is finally curdled. <laughs> I took a little satisfaction knowing it went before me. <laughs> it's, always, it's always so cute reading the diary entries of 13-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> With all the melodrama. <laughs> uh, any, other, any other questions that people would like to know? Oh, I see. Um, oh, yeah, you. Yes, over there, I see you. So the question was, how did your parents respond to this? Well, I think the only uh, my mom didn't really know because I did it all my dad's house because um, uh, there was nothing else to do <laughs> there, um, and so um, we I, I would just do it mostly at his house. So he was aware of it. And actually, he was pretty he was very supportive. He he he's an engineer, so he really liked when I did all my blueprints for like buildings and things that <laughs> were in the country. <laughs> that was, was my question. He was less enthusiastic about the poetry, but. Uh, um, so, but he he knew like, and he actually knew since I was like ten and. and 
like you know he was actually he was the person who helped me he was like you should kind of like put this in a binder because uh, it was like all over my desk and everything <laughs> everywhere um, it's such a minor contribution totally yeah but so he was great but my, my, I didn't really, I don't my mom still doesn't know actually when I told well, her I was still doing a lecture know? no like when I was told her I was doing a lecture at Bravis Lovia she's like oh where, like where's that like what's is that you know like she didn't know so wow so I had to explain to her I didn't you all know more than she is so no yeah yeah, wow. Okay. So, so the answer to your question is father, father yeah. approving, gave him a binder. Mother still doesn't yeah, care. Yeah. <laughs> Both very supportive, but I just didn't. I never needed to tell him though. I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. I ask you, you Steve Cato in the sound booth. Uh, Do you have siblings, and like, are they involved in any of this? Like, uh, you, get time, you get a lot of time by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a younger brother, and he was a real sport about the whole thing. Like, we would go on missions in, in forests uh, to find various you know, relics and whatnot. And he's no, he's not. He's in Ottawa. Uh, he's in high school, and uh, he's two years younger. And he, um, he, yeah, he was really supportive, and he, he, he loves. Like, he, he would be sort of my, my sidekick when we go on adventures together. So the long-suffering sidekick, yeah. Everyone, people think yeah, people think that's cute. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. He's doing okay. He's doing okay. And he's still, and he has girlfriends. Wow, that's really, it's really, yeah. So he made it out alive, yeah. <laughs> do, 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 uh, real life, real life girlfriends. Real life girlfriends, yeah. And, not, and not Onan Yakov. No. And it's, um, and, and the, uh, the thing that I'm really curious about, okay, oh, so in this world you have, you've, you've, not only have you invented this world, but like, because I was kind of, like when I was, uh, anyhow, I was, I, you have, you have this world, you have, within this world you have the mythology and you've, you've cinema, mm. are there, like, have you, you've, made you drew blueprints mm -hmm. like what are the other media like okay, did, have yeah. you written like the software of this land or are, <laughs> no, there, no. are there songs recipes like are there other yeah a lot of a lot of family trees a lot of family trees uh and a lot of blueprints um right. actually i have a, one of the binders is just blueprints for buildings uh because I, I wanted to be like an architect when yeah. i was younger uh so lots of blueprints and um and yeah, and, and the, the film industry is incredibly evolved for a country <laughs> of like two million people. It's like it puts like Canada to shame. Uh, so there's lots of film production. So as a result, they have their own sort of award, you know, Academy Awards. And so, you know, like I, I was, I, d I, I designed dresses and stuff. You know, I was like, <laughs> like oh, that's a surprise. And um, so yeah, I designed a lot of dresses and like you know, uh, and and like, I would, uh, yeah. Popular music? Is there popular music? music uh, oh, definitely. Yeah, lots yeah. of popular. Yeah. So, like, sort of, yeah, there was an awards ceremony for film and, and, and uh, song. And they ran the biographies and, like, tabloids of various artists in the music industry. Um, and also um, aerial views of towns. A lot of aerial views of towns. <laughs> yeah, mostly. Yeah. Oh, there's some, I'm going to go all the way in the back. I can't, you're not, you, you, yes, you, you're so far away from me. And you're so patient, yes. <laughs> um, yes, uh, reading, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I, I loved, um, I was outside a lot, too, so, like, a, a lot of this wasn't just, like, me sitting in my room, like, I would go out, like, I would write something, then go out and kind of explore it in the, in the forest, you know, <laughs> which is also kind of a lonely, I suppose, but, no, but it was great, I, like, I enjoyed doing that, so, I, I, um, yeah, and, and, and theater, really, it was another big thing, so, yeah. <laughs> how could they, was your concern is that his hobby was insufficient for you? Like you were like, <laughs> what, how will this child express his creativity if 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 all he does is write films and songs and yeah, event yeah. worlds and draw blueprints? Like There's where? How will he express himself? Like what? There was T-ball somewhere in there too. Eleven, ten to eleven, I think. He actually had a normal childhood. Oh 
Oh, she yeah. wanted, you wanted to know if he was normal. I did. You can ask. You can ask direct. You can be like, did you do? Did you do like what would be normal? Like like. There's some organized sports here and there. What playing outside? So being outside, you think that's oh good yeah. enough for you? Okay, Lots so you've been outside. Lots of outside. And you you've been and he had a brother. That's normal. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, you sir. Mm-hmm. Do you miss the do you miss Bratislava? Yeah. Well, I know we're not really supposed to talk about or we do I, I do write a lot and actually I'm cur- I just finished writing an anthology of poems uh, of the seven poets from Lance Hotel <laughs> so like it's it's, and it's like massive it's like too big to publish so Wait, probably won't be what's happening with it what are you doing what's happening with it uh, well it's it's sitting on, on my on my desk so maybe I should like I don't know I don't know Misha I can give it to you one day and you can read it one day all tell right. me how you like it okay all right okay. yeah I'm, I'm an important figure in Bravislovian poetry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Misha's oh. a very Bravislovian name, too, actually. I, do you, is yeah, it Bravislovian? Yeah, I thought it was a little Bravislovian. I'm, sh- I'm sure it's some... But they spell it with a C, probably. Yes, yeah, and, and a J, I think, too. With a J, a C, yeah. and a J. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just all over the place. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. There's a request for the national anthem. There's a request for the national anthem. Oh, my goodness. To be honest, I I don't I don't have the words with me. What? There is, but uh, I don't. I, and it's not translated either, so I'd have to like. <laughs> <laughs> but I will. Uh, if, if you give me your, I, honestly, I'll email it to you though. If you want. Can you can you remember? Can you remember the tune or anything? Is there like is there a line you can remember or a bit of the tune? I'm just kidding. I'm sure that I can remember a line. Um, I think you should teach it to them because I think they should have <laughs> to. It seems too cruel to just make you sing it, but it seems like if you have a room full of people, it seems like. What, what can you remember from it? I think, oh, right. to be honest, it, w- it wasn't translated, so it, it would be. Uh, it's kind of gibberish, I suppose, until I can. But uh, if, if you can want. I ask you to repeat, anyone, after, to repeat after? If anyone wants it, I can email it to them. You don't have it. I can't, I'm not going to be able to make you do this. Oh no, I, I okay. I'm pretty tone I'm pretty tone deaf too. I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> so I, I'll. No, you don't have to stand up and take off your fur hats. <laughs> that was that was the part I was really looking forward to. All right, okay. Um, maybe we'll end on that note of of, of disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> so so next so you'll so you'll get this to us somehow. You'll all get this yeah. will all arrive in your mailboxes or just turn on exactly. your TVs and it'll be opening the ball game tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the Olympics. I'm sure maybe they'll have a couple, uh, <laughs> couple contestants. So, there are so many more questions, but we can't. And I'm like, oh, what sports do they play? But, uh, yeah. but no, we have to stop somewhere, and so and so it's going to be here, All ladies right. and gentlemen. Jordan Tannehill. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Trampoline Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by Margot Williamson. The podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. Kate Bars is our coordinating producer, and our podcast intern is Quinton Bradshaw. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you enjoyed the podcast, it really helps us out if you leave a rating or positive review on iTunes. Thanks. I'm Misha Gloverman. Thanks for listening.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.